Before we get into this week's Elgin Movie Watchers podcast, I wanted to take time to pay tribute to Bob Fass, who recently died. Bob Fass is a legendary, innovative broadcaster in New York on radio station WBAI for you know over 50 years. And uh, he was a good friend to the Elgin as well. And uh, while I had listened to Bob and, and, and knew Bob to some extent before uh, I worked at the Elgin, I just wanted to you know, pay tribute to him and talk a little bit about how he related to Bob at the Elgin. So back in uh, the 1970s, I was regularly listening to uh, Bob Fass's radio and Nameable. At that time, it was on five nights a week, Monday to Friday at midnight on radio station WBAI, listener-sponsored radio. And Bob did his brilliant mixing of music, talk, live performers, poetry, and whatever was happening out in the streets into this radio program that uh, went for hours each night. And I was listening on one night when there was this woman from California who had was a, a researcher, a JFK assassination researcher. And it was mentioned on the air as Bob was speaking to her uh, by May that they were going to have a assassination research program at NYU, but uh, she wasn't going to be invited because she mentioned names. She just didn't speak in generalities. So I was listening and I called up the station and Bob answered the phone and I, and May was there, May Brussel. I just said, you know, if it's okay with my partner, I'll, I'll speak to him about it. But I was thinking that if we could work it out to, uh, have the Elgin, a place that May could speak during that the same time or near the time of that uh, assassination conference in NYU. So they understood. I then called or saw Steve the next day and laid out to him what I wanted to do. And he said, yeah, sure. So the next aspect of it was scheduling this thing. And we talked about it and figured out that if we, you know, gave May some uh, off time, like, like a late morning or something, that we could uh, provide the space for her and to, to maximize people coming, we wouldn't even charge an admission. It was worked out and May came to New York. It was promoted on primarily on Bob's show on WBAI. We asked Bob if he could come and introduce May, uh, which he did. And hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to see May Brussel in New York City, you know, primarily because of the exposure that she got from Bob and his promoting things of people that weren't being heard elsewhere. And that was the, the first of a number of occasions that May appeared uh, at the Elgin. That was the only one was for free, though. I think after that, we were, were smart enough to charge admission when she showed up. But it was definitely an, an extraordinary uh, period. And a lot of it had to do, you know, it was really, you know, grew out of, out of Bob Fass and the radio unnameable uh, program. 
you know, Bob would mention the theater at times. I remember once he came with his younger brother. We were doing a series of early rock and roll, lit rhythm and blues movies. And he came with his brother and I, I ran into him and he said, oh yeah, I, I really didn't pay that much attention to uh, this kind of music. Because Bob was born in 1933 and then, you know, he, he went to school and then military and got involved in acting. So he really didn't feel that he had this big connection or, or understanding of how that music evolved. So I, I wish I could remember the names of the films, but came and saw them and he was just, just amazed at the energy and the brilliance and the beauty of the performers. And it really like, you know, he was turned on by the experience and his ability to be able to share that with his, his younger brother. And for anyone who listened to Bob, he had a vast collection of music and he would play everything and anything. And that became a, another part of, of, of his, uh, the palette that he used to paint his visual uh, audio expressions that the, he'd do it in audio and you would see it. And then later on, more recently, when I was talking to him to appear on Elgin Movie Watch's podcast, because I wanted to talk to Bob about these uh, uh, issues and experiences. Uh, it, it didn't come to pass, he got ill and whatever. Actually, in the conversations, he was saying he was now living in North Carolina with his wife, Linny, and he was having a hard time locating a copy of Room Service. He was doing a thing, he wanted directing, and he just wanted to see that. So I was able to get him a, you know, a DVD and, and, and send it down to North Carolina you know, uh, last summer. It, it was nice to be able to do that. But also when I spoke to Bob, I had mentioned something that I discussed with him years earlier because Mae Brussel was very controversial and she was published by Paul Krasner in The Realist. She was interviewed and exposed on WBAI on Bob Fass's show. And then she was also in New York appearing at, at the Elgin Theater. That's where, that's where she gave her performances in New York and was you know, known from that as well. So in the beginning of 1977, in January, Krasner was notified that his printer, that the printer was going to stop publishing The Realist because he was, you know, behind in his payments or whatever, and that was it. He, he was cut off. February, WBI was taken off the air as the result of, there was an org, organizing going on among the workers there for a union, and, and Bob was one of the, you know, organizers of that, and, and eventually they were taken off the air in February. And then in the middle of March, the Elgin was gone. We, because of, you know, back rent and whatever. I mean, it's all logical explanations for what happened. But uh, I always felt that, that there was more of a connection there than maybe met the eye. And also understanding, you know, without getting into too much, the, the person we were paying rent to uh, uh, at the Elgin wasn't necessarily the highest quality in the printer. Uh, that Paul was dealing with might not may have been also somewhat connected to uh, the same kind of you know, business that was there, and BAI had its own political stuff. But that so I always felt that there was some influence 
why the timing took place at that point. And, and Paul Krasner, who I spoke with back then, and also Bob didn't agree, but last year, Bob changed his tune. And he said that, you know, he, he, he saw it my way. He understood that, 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 that was uh, more than just a coincidence that those three outlets from a Brussels all, all were out of business within three months. And, uh, you know, that, that's would have been something that I would have talked with him, uh, on, on the Elgin Movie Watchers podcast as well. So, you know, Bob coming to the theater and getting turned on, being able to see film and music that he hadn't experienced earlier in his life and his involvement, you know, with uh, getting May there, dealing with May there and uh, being the host when May appeared. And then just the whole thing that, Really, the last thing that I had to do with uh, with Bob was uh, getting him access to a, a film that we showed many times at the Elgin that he wanted to see, and he thought that I would be the guy to, to reach out to. So if anyone's got a chance to uh, listen on, on the internet, there are a lot of great uh, tributes to Bob from people he influenced, people who got into radio after you know he did his generosity, his, uh, his brilliance really creating art on the radio and opening, you know, people's minds and uh, exposing us to lots of information and music and poetry and whatever. So I just thought it would be, you know, the right thing to do for Elgin Movie Watchers to say, we're sorry we didn't get to Bob Fass on the podcast to talk to him about this, but we definitely appreciate what he's done, you know, for thousands of people. And for me personally, realizing that he was one of the great influences in my life. So I just wanted to say, uh, you know, it was a, a privilege to know Bob and people check out his work that's still available to be heard. And that I'm just one of the thousands of people, you know, who love Bob Fass. <laughs> Welcome to Elgin Movie Watchers Podcast. I'm Chuck Slatkin, and I'm here with Steve Gould. Hey, Chuck. How you doing? Doing okay. Looking forward to uh, this episode. And before we get into the episode, two things. First, you can follow us on Twitter at Elgin Movie, Instagram at Elgin Movie Watchers, and Facebook at Elgin Movie Watchers Podcast. You can like us there. Also, if you'd like to uh, tell us about your remembrances of the Elgin, you can email us at elginmoviewatchers at gmail. Elginmoviewatchers at gmail. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about 70s films. But before we got into it, I want to tell you about a, a 2012 film that uh, follows up on the what I talked about earlier, there's actually a, a documentary, uh, Radio Unnameable, which uh, tells the story of Bob Fass and his program and the impact and influence he has. And it's uh, available to be seen online at the Kino Lorber uh, website. So that's Radio Un Unnameable, the documentary. Well, it's uh, it's come to this, uh, Chuck, I guess. Uh, it's just you and I, kid, <laughs> once again. But uh, I know uh, 
when some of the folks that worked with us at the Elgin talked. That 70s period had, you know, a lot of uh, good memories, a couple of maybe bad memories, but mainly good memories, and that whole ambience of the period. And I think it was a wonderful decade of film. If you lined up all the films that were released, you know, from 1970 to 79, it'd be a hell of a lineup. And certainly since we were open in the 70s, we played a lot of them. Well, that's true. And I think it would be good for us to try and concentrate on the ones that may be in terms of the Elgin, since we were goodbye in uh, March of 77, maybe to look at those films. But then again, we have to make clear to everyone that while the Elgin Theater itself said sayonara in March of 1977, Movie Watch continued for, for some time. So there was a lot of involvement and things that Elgin people were engaged with having to do with the uh, 70s the films, even after closing the doors at the Elgin. One of the exciting things, uh, this is not dissing the new technologies, but it was always exciting when we booked a film into the Elgin and some guy or gal got really turned on to it, called up their friend or saw their friend and said, wow, boy, this is a great film, blah, blah, blah. That word of mouth was very, very integral to uh, the success of the film and certainly to the success of the Elgin. And looking back at it, I'm really happy that you and I had an opportunity in that decade to be involved with turning people on to some films that they might not ordinarily uh, have caught. That's true, because a lot of times when we were deciding what to show, we obviously the availability of the film was important and we'll, we'll We'll discuss that. But also we were, what we were trying to do is uh, give exposure to films that, you know, maybe open, got good reviews, but weren't seen by many people. And we felt that there was value to give it a second chance. But also there were some films that got killed by the critics and were really exceptional films. Now, I don't mean to be throwing you a curve on this one because it's something I, as I've been looking through films, a 1970 film, Burn, which we played at the Elgin as a double feature of Marlon Brando films, One-Eyed Jacks. And I was looking through the, going back to the publicity aspect of it and how we presented it and uh, uh, talked about it, that the, the film's popularity had surpassed their early reviews. So that was an example of us bringing back a film that, the critics didn't like, but really had had some uh, merit and value to it. Do you remember the, the, the film? Oh, yeah. Burn? I mean, uh, Burn was uh, a film, I think it was released by United Artists. And because uh, of probably a lot of reasons, but it was kind of more of a intellectual film. It wasn't a slam, bam, thank you, ma'am type film, even though there was a lot of action footage in it. I think it just got passed over. Their media machine said, well, you know, we're not going to get a lot of holdovers. For those of you that are not familiar with that terminology, that means a film that's grossed enough that theater owners will keep it and play it uh, for another week. And if it really is not the kind of film that gets held over, then they kind of, like you were saying, Chuck, they say, well, we messed up on this one. So I think that's one of the reasons for uh, Burn. And I don't know how, I guess One-Eyed Jacks just got, I mean, it had had uh, a great cast. God knows one of your favorites was in it. <laughs> Carl Dylan. Molden. Yeah, Carl Molden. 
You remember the Johnny Carson uh, comment with Carl Malden where he said, uh, you know what yuccophobia is? And somebody said, no. I said, that's Carl Malden blowing his nose. <laughs> Actually, I can uh, help you out on that. Yuccophobia, when Carl Malden asked to borrow your handkerchief. That oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. But I mean, you had other people in that film that were great. But, you know, that's that, that that's something that we did. And we also uh, picked up, and I know we mentioned it in previous podcasts, Hal Ashby's film, Harold and Maud. And those are the kind of things that uh, offered an opportunity to filmmakers to have their movie seen once again, but also for moviegoers that said, hey, wait a minute, where'd that go? Well, I didn't get to see it. That's really important. And I know... You and I were talking about uh, some of the times where it was dicey if things were going to make it, like that time with Bob Rafelson's movies that we were showing. And one of them, of course, is with the monkey's head. And Columbia booked that in for us. And then they said, uh, and this is after it was booked. And this was after we had it in the marble paper and it was no print. Now, I don't know how the hell he found out about it. Maybe some friend of his in New York, you know, was an Elgin fan. But Rafelson called us and he said, wow, you guys are doing a, a, a retrospective of the films. I said, well, yeah, we are, but uh, looks like we're not going to get head. He said, yes, you are. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to send a print of mine that I have that I keep in storage and I'll come to New York and kill you two if you ruin it. But he did send it. He sent it gratis to us. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that happened at the Elgin that somebody attending, you know, a first run or second run theater in that period, that wouldn't happen. I think he was really happy that that, that we were doing that for the film because, you know, he believed in the film. Uh, it didn't uh, do well uh, in the box office. But I, I knew that, you know, I, I had seen it and I, and I was a, a, a big fan of Head and uh, he, you know, it's an interesting film. People should check it out because, you know, the monkeys were a phenomenon on television. They had been um, almost like a, a manufactured, put together by producers to kind of come up with a Beatles-like uh, group for a television show. And the television show was very successful, very popular. As Rafelson said, you know, what, what he, he was actually making the, the, the movie to kill the monkeys and, and, and almost in the opening credits and scene, that's what took place. But uh, I think it's uh, well worth checking out as a film that, you know, neither did well nor received great reviews. <laughs> but uh, And I know you uh, were talking about, uh, in general, films that uh, kind of were uh, pissed on by the critics. And uh, a film that always got traction. I mean, the word of mouth at the Elgin, starring Jagger and Anita von Pallenberg. Um, when we played performance, now when that opened, they thought, you know, the critics, oh, pretentious drag, blah 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 blah. Uh, but every time we played it, that audience was there, loving it. It was a little, maybe, maybe actually. Elgin moviegoers were a little ahead of their time. It's almost like we had our own social media at the time, you know, the hell with the critics. You know, it worked that way and the film holds up and I know a number of people and including uh, Roberto Rodriguez who were going to have uh, one time to 
to talk about what it was like in the Elgin neighborhood in terms of movies when the Elgin became the theater it became. But he 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 said that that was a, an important film for him and his understanding going on in life in terms of gender and all that. So he he just thought it was a very powerful film that he just happened to you know see because it was playing in the Elgin. Let me check this out. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh... <clears throat> That's what we could offer. And, you know, even in a sense, films that were good did have traction at the box office. Wrinkles could develop. And uh, one that I recall that involved a little to do with uh, United Artists when we uh, set up the we set up actually one of the first, I guess, in New York, at least Woody Allen Festival. You know, in the 70s, he had uh, two of his uh, big films. Uh, come out love and death and uh, annie hall but an earlier film of his that i i really enjoyed was what's new pussycat and that was uh, a ua release and uh we uh we booked it and then we found out after it got booked and everything it was out of release and maybe uh we shouldn't have done it but you know we were kind of like i don't know naive kids or renegades we had called up his producers and mentioned that we had this uh, retro, uh, retrospective of all of his films. United Artists, while they first said that What's New Pussycat was available, then told us it wasn't. And they said, uh, we'll get back to you. So about a day later, uh, I think actually it was Peter Zagari sitting in the box office saying, uh, there's some guy, uh, Pickett or somebody like that, uh, a name like that on the phone for- says he's the president of United Artists or something. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, pick it up. And lo and behold, it was David Picker, president of United Artists, and said, did you call blah, 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 blah. And I said, uh, yes, we did. And he said, what the hell did you do that for? You stirred a hornet's nest. Listen, you got any problem with a UA film? You got my direct phone number. You got your What's New Pussycat, but don't do that again. So, you know, those kind of things, I don't know, I found fun. Well, first of all, I don't think you should say it was because we were naive or whatever. I think that was what we, we did, what we had to do to get films. That, 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 that's, that's the bottom line. And, and, and you, you know, did a tremendous job at uh, locating where they were, who had them and making, uh, you know, deals uh, in, in many cases so that, that we were able to show the films. You know, if yeah. it was na- if it was naive, say that you were uh, using fine, but I think you got to give yourself a little more credit for, you know, what the hell, we, we, you know, try and get the film any way we could. Yeah, you know, you, you look at that now and you can uh, be a little nostalgic about it, but I, I think you and I, I mean, you did that with the publicity. Look at that time where we put in the uh, 25 cent uh, price for seniors. We knew that on Friday and Saturday nights and stuff, seniors aren't coming out. That's not what they do. They come out during the day. But uh, and you got such uh, great publicity. You had the late uh, Bob Salmaji uh, come down and we got from one of the uh, local uh, Spanish bakeries a big sheet cake for the first anniversary. And you got a lot of press on that. No, I I understand that we should take the opportunity now to you know to talk a little bit more about you know some of the you know great '70s films that we showed. I mean, we've talked about some of the key films from the outside. You know, with El Topo, Harder They Come, and Pink Flamingos are all '70s films. But 
I think now we want to concentrate a little bit more on some of the other films that we showed that, you know, representative of what Steve talked about earlier with the, you know, greatness of that period of film. I know, you know, to me, some of the greatest films of all times were in the 70s and we were, you know, a- a- able to show them. I mean, I... What about the, uh, when we were doing uh, early Scorsese? You know, we did uh, Who's That Knocking on the Door? I know that was in the 70s, but we teamed that with uh, Mean Streets, which was a hell of a film. I mean, that was phenomenal. If people haven't seen Mean Streets, they should really uh, go out and stream it. It's a film, believe it or not, where Harvey Keitel was the star and uh, Robert De Niro was uh, a featured player. Yeah, that was an impactful film from the 70s. And there's just you know, so many uh, extraordinary uh, films that uh, from that period, you know, from Five Easy Pieces, which is, I guess, is like Burn was a 1970 film, you know, right through. I remember sh- we showed uh, Barry Lyndon at the Elgin. Do you have any records? It was a big cinemascope uh, film. Yeah, that, yeah. And we showed it with Daisy Miller. That's another Elgin double bill for you. But you know, uh, Five Easy Pieces we showed because that was part of Rafelson's thing. You know, we had King of Marvin Gardens with that, which was not a hit and not a super terrific film, but it, it did have its moments. Take, for example, Cassavetes, you know, started as an actor and is known as a real kind of auteur. In the 70s, uh, we had his Women Under the Influence, and uh, we also played uh, two of his other films, uh, Minnie and Moskowitz, that I loved, and Faces. So uh, a lot of the times, uh, people got to uh, immerse themselves with a particular director. Right, Uh, and I was a big uh, fan of uh, Cassavetes going back to his... uh, TV show where he played a, a piano player who was also a detective, and then and the name of the show was Johnny Staccato. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Here, here's another Elgin the double bill for you. Since you mentioned Tropic of Cancer, we played Tropic of Cancer and Minnie and Moskowitz as a double bill. Then. Yeah, that must have been a real toe tapper. <laughs> Tropic of Cancer. That was uh, that was one strange movie, and then. Uh, you know, we, we, we always played a lot of uh, Robert Altman stuff. I mean, that was, uh, I can't tell you how many of those. I mean, we had people that were, I think, calling up the theater and saying, uh, are you going to play Brewster McCloud again? You know, it was like. Brewster McCloud could join the Minnie and Moskowitz on the Elgin Play at the Death Festival. Right. Understand, you know, so we our period from like 69 to the beginning of 77, of the Elgin and a large part of what we were doing were classic films from the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, and also presenting uh, films that people couldn't get the show and even some experimental films. And we had an underground film festival, all of that stuff. But we also would show relatively current films that either had some kind of success or as Steve mentioned earlier, you know, didn't do that great at the box office. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the Elgin showed films like, uh, you know, Nashville and A Clockwork Orange and things like that, just want to put that into people's the perspective of how it was that, we, yes, we, we, were show, we were reviving relatively recent films, too, uh, in addition to the classic stuff and the underground experimental things we were showing. And there were uh, 
films in the 70s, foreign films, that uh, we did include. One, for example, I know we got it was, I think it was a Paramount release that uh, I really liked. And it was by one of your favorite uh, directors, Chuck Bertolucci, uh, it was La Conformista, The Conformist, with Dominique Sanda and things. And that, that film, yeah, it was in Italian. And uh, I think we, uh, we showed it a couple times, once on uh, maybe Italian Wednesday, but we also had it as part of a, a double bill at a time. So there, there, there was a variety of films that were coming out from the major studios that I don't think should be uh, poo-pooed because they had some good films. Uh, and while we love the fact that we could show, like you were saying, the old uh, Warner movies with Bogart and Cagney or uh, Keaton and, uh, and all of those type of films. But we were able in the, in the 70s to show current 70s movies that also delivered. We showed Godfather Part Two. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did. Yeah. And there were also other movies, I think, that um, might have been given short shrift that while they were message movies, they really were delivering a good, powerful film to begin with, a movie like uh, The Conversation or uh, Parallax View. And we showed those. And uh, I think people that came to see them uh, got two things out of it. They got the message and they got a good movie. Uh, yeah, we really enjoyed the showing the double bills like that, trying to make some kinds of you know connections, opening uh, people up to... Uh other possibilities from the narrative they were getting from uh, the mainstream media at that time, which of course was more open to things than maybe what the mainstream media is now, but uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a remarkable uh, a period for film and who we just happy to be able to, you know, participate and, and uh, you know, show films that impactful and, and meaningful and, and people can still watch today in 2021. How about, how about the old double bill with you and I always kid about Lucas's uh, THX 1138. And then we teamed it up with the legend of Billy Jack. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yes. Those halcyon days. <laughs> Some of those films that were, uh, you know, more like designed to be commercial films like the legend of Billy Jack and the way that was presented, you know, some of the more ser serious, you know, film goers who were looking to see great films and art and historical films and whatever. When we would show something like that, they would, they would thank us because they would say, I would have never seen it. You know, it wasn't that bad or I enjoyed it or help put the, uh, you know, uh, some things in, in, uh, in context and, uh, we were not, uh, you know, above showing uh, films that weren't great films, but had some aspect to it that was worth seeing. And, you know, we had certainly because of the way we uh, book films, you know, we talked about that uh, earlier, but like uh, Sunday and Monday uh, were our kind of artsy fartsy films. So that's when we would uh, have films that people maybe who were into uh, theater and a more artistic, uh, for example, uh, a movie that came out actually late 69, early 70, uh, was Boys in the Band. You know, uh, we double billed that with something that to this day, people still talk about as one of their favorites. And that was a, a young Maggie Smith in Travels with My Aunt. That double bill 
now uh, travels came out in the 70s but uh uh and i know boys in a band was you know officially not a 1970 film but that double bill was incredibly successful and we've uh, put that in a few times on a sunday and monday so uh we tried to cater to our audience overall but as we know audiences are segmented and we did the best we could with putting on the big bucks films and stuff on a Friday and Saturday and then Sunday and Monday, the other ones. So, and I think it worked out well, at least for a while. We tried some interesting things again, you know, looking through some of what we did, uh, we actually had a, uh, a Robert Downey senior film festival. We showed oh, wow. all, all his six films. We greasers palace. We showed his more, uh, I guess, commercial films with one of his earlier films. So we showed Greaser's Palace with No More Excuses, Putney Swope with Babo 73, and Pound with Chafed Elbows. We played them each for a couple of days. So I don't know if many other people did a Robert Downey Sr. Film Festival, (laughs) but the Elgin did it in 1974. Yeah, and actually, uh, the pound was uh, another United Artists release, and I remember the guy who was my uh, contact there said, "You want that?" <laughs> you know, I was like, "Well, I'll have to dust that one off." But I, I love Pound because Downey had the concept. He was a wild man, but he had a concept. Those were human beings playing animals stuck in a dog pound. I mean, it was, it was a great concept. People that came to see it really enjoyed it. I would, I would, I would safe to say. I don't know how many people came to see it, but those who did it, it, it enjoyed it. And it was just, you know, it's, it just uh, makes me feel good that you know we we tried things like that, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully, and then we did, you know, work with some of the film companies, and they came out with the the Betty Boop Follies. I mean, those are old Betty Boop cartoons, but it was. Uh, you know, put together in, in 1975, and, and we, we, we opened it up uh, playing, uh, you know, Betty Boop cartoons in a, in, a, in a film. And then we worked later on with uh, putting together one of Popeye. The Popeye we, Follies. That Popeye. was with you, yeah. not, uh, yeah. uh, UA Classics at the time. Right. Yeah. And then uh, thanks to uh, the late uh, lamented uh, Mike Mupergo, he got us a bunch of trailers of films and we wound up being able to uh, edit the trailers together as part of, I think, the, the Betty Boop Festival. We called it Trailer Camp and showed like, I don't know, 20 minutes, 25 minute uh, reel of uh, trailers that we ganged together. And we also put together the, uh, the Mel Brooks package that we called... Uh... The Brooks Blowout, which was maybe not one, <laughs> but that was we showed Blazing Saddles, the producers, Twelve Chairs, and the short the critic on on one bill. So if people were Mel Brooks fans, they could come and and, and see the work that he had done at that time uh, up yeah. in, in in the seventies. Well, I think Blowout was a uh, a very apt uh, word to use considering the scene in Blazing Saddles. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm sure that's what motivated us to call it that. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I know we've uh, discussed that, and actually Blazing Saddles was in uh, the previous discussion about some of the cancel culture going on now, 
and uh, that there were scenes in there because of ethnic comments made that probably Mel Brooks would not be able to uh, make a movie like that now. Oh, yeah, there are, there are probably a lot of films that uh, uh, couldn't be made now and, and aren't. <laughs> so uh, uh, things are, are, are limited in that aspect, I guess. But, you know, we, it was a different attitude. We, we've talked about some of the controversial uh, films that we've shown on, on, on other podcasts. But, you know, it never got in the way of us... Uh, showing something that if we felt that it should be shown, that there'd be interest to at least a significant part of, of our audience. And we could, again, Steve, make the deal. You know, we were never hesitant to show stuff. And I guess, you know, that was part of the charm of the Elgin of people who could come there and see all kinds of, you know, different things. And probably also motivation for the reasons that some people would never come to the theater because we showed stuff that offended them. Well, that's true. I think they might have been in a minority, though. I mean, uh, we might be able to sit here for a couple of hours and going over this. But what do you think, Chuck? People uh, listening to this podcast, we'd love to hear about maybe the movies they saw there, whether they liked them, whether they disliked them, or maybe movies that they wished we would have played. I'd love to have some feedback on that. And they could write to us, send an email to elginmoviewatchers at uh, gmail.com. I think we, that's uh, terrific. It's a good idea. I think another thing, again, if people have time or the ability to do it, because so many people are now watching films uh, at home, enjoy the beauty of, uh, of the double feature or maybe even an all-night show in your, in, in your place if you could put together films the way we did at the Elgin or on your own uh, feeling. But sometimes, you know, seeing those you know, double features and the connections between the two films really enhanced in the enjoyment of both. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, why don't we finish up on this segment and maybe we can do another segment like this when we get some feedback from our uh, tried and true listeners. That's a good idea. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a new episode of Elgin Movie Watchers podcast up every uh, Monday. And, uh, you know, check that out. And you can go where you get your podcasts and listen to some of the old ones that you may have missed. And I'll, I'll remind people to follow us on Twitter at Elgin Movie, Instagram, Elgin Movie Watchers. And uh, like us on Facebook at Elgin Movie Watchers Podcast. And again, I'll say contact us at elginmoviewatchers at gmail.com. Okay, that's yes, a good one. Yes, sir. Okay. I'll see you around the block for the next podcast. There you go.